Welcome to Milk Carton Kids Podcast. I'm Katie Bocci. And I am Katie Riggle. And today we are going to continue on talking about the issues that are on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So before we get started, I have to make a little correction because last episode I was saying the little boy's name wrong the entire time and that would definitely help if I could say it correctly. <laughs> I was saying his name as William Terrell as the family's last name, but it was Terrell. Oh. And I did not realize that until I looked it up the next day to make my TikTok on it and then I realized that it was wrong. But last week I was having I was struggling it was a hard day for me. It was like my dad's birthday and he passed away yeah. not even six months ago and our bird died yeah. and we had buried him. We had buried him that mm. morning and so <laughs> it was, it was pretty rough. So I always try to like look up and listen to the names before. Yeah. So that doesn't happen, but it was a little off week. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about children missing from care. So this is children who are missing from state care, like foster care. So here's a little overview of it. In recent years, greater attention has focused on the issue of children who go missing from state care. Historically, many of these children were not being reported missing. However, there are no waiting periods to report a child missing, regardless of the situation. To correct this problem, federal legislation enacted in 2014 requires the state agencies must report a missing or abducted child to both law enforcement and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children within 24 hours of receiving information about a missing child under their care. So the risk factor for running away from care or state care are multifaceted and there are no typical endangered runaway. However, research suggests that there are some factors that may increase the likelihood that a child runs away. So this may be because of mul multiple placements while youth in their first state placement are not likely to run, especially younger children, the greater the number of placements, the greater the likelihood of them running away. Family attachment and separation. Child in care may run away from their placements to reconnect or reunite with one of their non-custodial family members. There may be a gender-related experience. Research suggests that girls are disproportionately more likely to run away from home or state care, as well as run away at an earlier age compared to boys. This difference between the gender may be explained by factors that are disproportionately experienced and reported by girls, such as sexual abuse and family instability. And one of the last ones is involvement in gangs or child sex trafficking. In 2016, 11% of endangered runaways reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children were believed to be involved in gangs, and an additional 18% of children were likely victims of sex trafficking. And now Katie's going to give by the numbers. Yeah. Um, so reports of children missing from care have increased each year since legislation was enacted. In 2015, they had received about 7,900 reports, and in 2017, they received over 18,000. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like in two years, it's almost tripled. Yeah. Um, and 16% of the children who ran from the care of social services were reported and were reported missing to NCMEC in 2019 were likely victims of child sex trafficking. So 
to kind of help combat this and handle everything, the NCMEC has assisted social services in reporting and returning missing children to safe places. So the they accept reports from across the country and have partnered with social service agencies in several states and local jurisdictions to assist in ensuring proper reporting of children who go missing from care, as well as the efforts to locate and return those children safely. And also raising public awareness. Um, so they have dedicated case managers can coordinate the creation and dissemination of missing child posters to help generate leads and assist in forwarding information to the appropriate investigating agencies. NCMEC's media relations team also works with traditional and social media outlets to target specific geographical areas and raise public awareness about the missing child. And uh, the public can also help in recovery efforts by going to the Adam program to receive those child missing alerts in their local areas. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. I looked up like the what Arizona does and like if a kid goes missing from state care, mm -hmm. they only have to keep the case open for three months. Oh, wow. Three or six months. Yeah. No, it makes sense because I um, found a like a really good article on the like oh, okay. CWLA website that basically says in a lot of um, like in a lot of states, they um, they do report the child as missing and they report it to um they enter the child into the National Crime Information Center, but they don't have the resources to go out and look for them because they're foster kids. So, like, when a normal kid goes missing, I won't say normal kid, but, like, when a, yeah. a child goes missing, you have, like, their family and friends and everyone looking for them. And it's, like, they're a foster kid. They don't have that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, like, they do what they're supposed to, but, like, police forces just don't have the manpower to follow up and – actually like look for the children so it makes sense if like arizona does only keep them for about three months but that just seems so crazy like if they're missing they it should be like and it should stay open exactly yeah like it should never close yeah because essentially like a sex trafficker only has to like hide that child for six months and then they're home free mm -hmm. no one's and looking no one's for them really going to be looking for them yeah. and it's really sad yeah but I understand that they don't have like you know the manpower and mm -hmm. the money to be able to do that but still yeah it's crazy so our cases today are going to fall in line with that of missing children from care Katie did you want to go first yeah this week? yeah I can uh so Ryla Wilson was a child who was in the foster care system for the Florida Department of Children and Family Services and because she had gone missing they her case became the center point of an investigation into neglect and the mismanagement of the of DCF in Florida um, she was approximately four years old when she disappeared on January 18th, 2001. And because of the mismanagement of the organization, they didn't discover her disappearance until two years after her last, like she was last checked in on from the organization. Wow. She was under the care of her alleged godmother 
um, or grandmother, Geraldine Graham. She was placed into care of DCF after Ryla's cocaine-abusing mother, Gloria Wilson, had her parental rights terminated. And despite varying accusations regarding Ryla's uh, parentage and how she became into Graham's care, the true relationship is pretty unclear as to why she was ever placed with Graham. So... The stories it's a little confusing when you when you go to read it, but the last recorded welfare check of Ryla was in early January 2001 by social worker Deborah Muskelly. She Graham initially told investigators that on January 18th, 2001, an unidentified African-American woman claiming to work for DCF took Ryla to an unspecified evaluation. And this was the last time that she says that she had ever seen Ryla. Um, But despite this, Graham had continued to cash the checks that she had received in order to take care of, uh, in order to keep her in Ryla's care. Of course. Yeah. So (laughs) she claimed that the social worker was aware of her disappearance and because she kept cashing the checks Graham was actually jailed for identity theft and Medicaid fraud for accepting the payments so so the social worker knew that the girl was missing so the grandmother claims that she told the social worker of her disappearance that another social worker had supposedly taken her and she had never come back and they just never did anything about it. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, so authorities denied that the state worker had ever taken Ryla in for medical testing. And they claimed they first learned of Ryla's disappearance on April 25th, 2002, the date that she was officially reported missing. In March of 2002, Muskelly and her supervisor resi- resigned after allegations of fraud surfaced. Uh, Mus Kelly was actually faced uh, 41 criminal charges regarding her time with DCF, including grand theft, and she would plead guilty to one count of official misconduct, but was only given five years probation. Everything else oh, was wow. dropped, and she never faced charges directly relating to Ryla's disappearance. Um, and then, so Manville Cash, who was a man who was currently incarcerated for auto theft and drug charges, was listed as the child's prospective father on the documents terminating Gloria's parental rights. And in early 2002, Cash told authorities he saw Ryla at the home of Pamela Kendrick who is Cash's aunt and sometimes mistakenly referred to as Graham's sister. So Kendrick briefly had custody of Ryla in 2000 before she was removed amid allegations of neglect. And in 2004, Graham was charged with kidnapping and three counts of child abuse. And Kendrick with two lesser counts of child abuse. They testified against Graham at her trial, claiming they both... Uh, that both of them had spanked Ryla with switches and had locked her in a doll cage and in the laundry room. So basically, she was relocated to supposedly a better home because she wasn't, her mother wasn't fit to take care of her, but she wasn't actually in a better home. 
yeah, at that, the yeah. end of that, I think that happens a lot. It does. Like, yeah. And had they have done the initial, like, had they have done the checks on her, like, they would have seen that. And uh, so to this day, Ryla is t- still technically considered a missing child, even though um, Graham supposedly in jail had given her, like, her inmate. Um, or she had confessed to another inmate that she had actually murdered Ryla, but they weren't ever able. So she never went through with, well, they never went through and actually charging her with the murder as it was a deadlocked case of 11 to one. So she's still in jail in regards to, because she was charged with kidnapping mm-hmm. and 25 years for aggravated abuse. Um, but she was never actually charged with her murder and they were never able to find Ryla's body. So she is still technically considered a missing child. Yeah. It's so hard if you are, if you have like, if you don't have any body, like. Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, you know, how do we know that? she did actually like kill her are you just gonna take a word for it yeah i'm gonna go ahead and think that if it was me you know her cashing those checks Mm -hmm. while she was missing is pretty pretty damn yeah all signs kind of all signs lead to to her not being alive and i think it just there's no way that she reported her missing yeah no she didn't i think she just got caught and then had to kind of come up with like a cover-up of oh no well i told them that she was missing but then you also have to like and this is kind of where new laws and and new child track uh child tracking systems had come into play uh because it is it is hard in not trying to defend you know the caseworker at all um because she should have been doing it's your job your job is to check on yeah. these children um but when caseworkers are given 30 40 50 new cases a week it's unfortunately children do fall through the cracks yeah. on these cases which is why they do go missing or they do run away um mm-hmm. Because they try to themselves, like, they feel like no one's there for them. So they run away and try to make a better life for themselves. But, I mean, for Ryla, she was – yeah, she was four years old, so she's not going to necessarily run away. She doesn't really know what to do. But in regards to older children, that's kind of why they see themselves out. They just – I feel like think that they're just forgotten in that system when they're put into sometimes – when they're taken from a bad situation and replaced into a home that was just, that is just the equivalent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to like, the more stories I read about like people who foster children and they just like abuse them. It makes Mm -hmm. me want to like foster a child myself. Like it just sounds so awful. Like how horrible that the child like gets taken from their parents and they get placed into a home and then they end up like disappearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. And I mean, my, my parents are foster parents, so it's, Oh yeah. 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 So it's kind of something that's, that is kind of, it's a little close to home because it's, you know, but Mm -hmm. and it's, it, they do, they constantly need 
need parents or just need people to come in and step in that are just genuinely good people. And yes, you do get paid um, on a regular basis because you have to pay for this child's care. Um, and I yeah. think that's what some people see it as, is they see it as a, as a paycheck, which is why these kids go into homes that aren't, that aren't great. And there's so many kids in the foster care system that it's just, it really is just a truly broken system. And there's just not enough people like stepping up to help or stepping up to just be willing to take these, like these troubled children and give them a loving, a loving home and give them a chance at having somewhat of a normal, a normal life. How many um, kids have your parents fostered? Oh, goodness. Probably they've been doing it for a few years. And I would say they probably have done about like 10, 10 to 15. Um, yeah, that they've had come in and out. But my parents, they do. Um, my parents, although they will accept like all kids, they primarily um, choose to do those who um, – Oh my gosh, what do you call it? Um like high risk. Yeah, they're high risk. They have um, you know, they have like feeding tubes or they have um like down syndrome or something special needs. So my parents that's do like mainly like special needs children. And it's Which that's great because think about all those special needs children in foster cares mm-hmm. where the people don't care about their health and are just trying to collect a check. Exactly. Like, like in order and not all special needs children are this way, but like the ones that my parents have, right. like they have the trachs and you have to pull it, like clean it and pull it. And they have the feeding tubes and it's like making sure those lines are clean. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's rough and it's, I just can't imagine. Cause it does take a very, it takes a knowledgeable person and someone willing to like learn and adapt to, okay, this is what's wrong with my child. How do I fix it? How do I make them better? And adapting your life around having to prepare someone's food and give it to them in a feeding tube at certain points in time, yeah. you know, during the day. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's also crazy because I know there are children born with with special needs, but a lot of the ones that my mom gets were children who were born without special needs. And because of the abuse that they endured, they are now special needs children who are like paraplegic and will never walk again or never move their limbs ever again. But they were, you know, kicking and screaming, healthy, healthy little babies when they were born. So that's hard. Yeah, it's def- It's really, really sad. But you know, well, your mom is this. <laughs> was she a nurse or like in the healthcare field? At no. All? So my whole family's in healthcare. My mom's a teacher. So my mom's a special education oh, okay. teacher. Oh, okay. Um, but her and my father were like volunteer EMTs and firefighters for a long time when I was growing up. Um, but like my sister's a nurse, my aunt's a nurse, both my aunts were nurses. Like, so it's kind of is in like our family, like the general nature of caring for others. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, uh, but it's, it's crazy to think that one, one girl because of kind of, and it's, it's thankful for her that 
it, they were able to kind of spread light on this and change the mm-hmm. ways. And it's still a very broken system. It still has a very long way to go, right. but you know, they're but trying. Yeah, just look at that stat. Just like, look at that stat, how it just almost triple yeah reporting. yeah and I just think and it's it kind of correlates with I think there's more and more people going into the foster care system than ever before because I mean it all links mm-hmm. to you know like drug abuse and people losing their yeah. children because of of addiction and I know like addiction rates I haven't looked them up in a long time but they're kind of the highest they've ever been you yeah know? yeah and money also mm-hmm. like I'm sure a pandemic doesn't really have that much at all. So, but, uh, I wonder, I wonder like if it's increased since the pandemic mm -hmm. of children going into the foster care. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked it up, but that would be, that would be interesting to see if, if those numbers do, do change or how much they've changed by. Mm So it doesn't really say numbers wise. It just states that, I mean, the pandemic has made it extremely hard for them for placements um, by creating delays in placements and adoptions and forcing some older youth to actually exit the system amid a public health and economic crisis. So you age out of the system when you're 18. Um, And it's you. So you have all of these kids that are now aging out of the system to a country that's completely shut down. So they have yeah, literally uh, zero and- chance of, of getting a job or finding somewhere to live. Um, yeah. So. It's crazy that well, like once they turn 18, they're just on their own and like they don't have a, like maybe I, maybe I just don't know. Like they don't have a program to help them um, get an apartment. And- I believe that one, they kind of have started one. Um, not too uh, I mean I'm trying to think I did a report on this in like high school so that was forever ago um (laughs) I was gonna say oh yeah just like a couple yeah it was like yeah it was like two or three years ago um so I mean just a quick uh like just statistic search is um so 23,000 children will age out of the foster care system every year um after reaching the age of 18, 20% of children who were in foster care will instantly become homeless. Yeah, one out of every two who age out of the system will have some form of gainful employment by the age of 24. Yeah. God, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, so that's the, um, that's kind of the problem. And I know they were kind of looking at, at changing it. I mean, I haven't watched this, but in January Mm -hmm. CBS did there's a federal program that's like a newly developed program that's helping young adults who are aging out of the foster care system um so there's it's a small trying to think of how to say this it's it's something that's definitely forgotten about when they when Mm -hmm. they turn 18 and it's crazy to think how long the system's been in effect for that it wasn't thought about of what do we do when they turn 16, 17 to help them when they're 18 and when they're on their own? And it just, it was like forgotten about it. Just nothing was done with it. It was like, oh, well, you're 18, you're on your own now. And yeah, it's, it's, 
Yeah. yeah. Like Have fun. Yeah. Job. I'm like those of us who like grew up with like with parents and went to school and learned all of that in school on basically how to be an adult. We all struggle and we weren't even, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, we had somewhat some structure to our lives, I guess, growing up. Well, so. let's just hope that most children in foster care, the parents who are going into it are like your parents and are, you know, doing it to help the child and not to collect yes. the child. There is a lot of good people mm-hmm. out there who are working hard to change it and Hopefully, if we just talk about it more, people will realize it because I had no, I kind of knew, especially after like Gabriel Hernandez, like, and that was a very recent Mm -hmm. video that came out on Netflix, but to see like how overworked the foster care system is and like people who work in social work, you hear about it, but you don't realize it until something terrible happens. And then, and then you're like quickly to blame the social worker Mm -hmm. when one, they didn't have enough training and two, like they're overworked. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only so much that they're allowed to Yeah. Do. And it's like, you know, it's like I said, you can't give one individual person 30, like, you know, 30 new cases a week. That's 30 new brand new cases on top of mm-hmm. all of the other ones that they that they already had. So it's good to see that they're they are starting to put a cap on the amount of on the amount of cases that a social worker can have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's also now there's a need for more social workers too. Yeah, good. Well, we will share her picture on our little yeah. Facebook and Instagram and our TikToks. Yes. So my case is on missing Orin and Orson West. Their adopted parents reported the boys missing on the evening of December 21st, 2020. So this is a very recent case that's pretty much still ongoing, obviously. But so according to Trizel West, Orin, who is four years old, and Orson, who is three years old, were playing with chalk outside their home. It was about 4.30, 5 o'clock at night, and Jacqueline, the mother, was inside wrapping Christmas presents. Trizel said he was outside collecting firewood because it was a cold night, and there were four other children in the home, but they were at their grandmother's house that night. They have two biological children two foster children, and then Orin and who, and Orson, who were originally fosters, and then they later adopted them. So they had a house full. Yeah. But that night, only two of them were there. Trezell realized that he left the gate open, and he panicked and went inside and asked Jacqueline if she had seen the boys, and she said no. And then they started searching for them. So he went inside, came back out, the boys were missing, realized that he left the gate open and then he started freaking out. Mm-hmm. So Trezell West told 23ABC, once, like, once the search for them in the house didn't pan out, he got in the van and looked down the street in both directions. It was getting dark and it was getting cold. West says that he then drove around the neighborhood looking for the boys until the sun began to set. At that point, he said Jacqueline decided it was time to call the police and report the boys missing. The police came and they brought little canine dogs. They caught the boys sent inside the house, but not outside the house, which was weird because that's where they were playing. Yeah. So searches of the home and the West vehicle yielded nothing of note. And police looked everywhere in the house that they could. California City Police Chief John Walker told KGET, we brought in search dogs, cadaver dogs, and 
but there had not had any kids anywhere in that house. Like they didn't find anything. Wow. Walker did a canvas of the neighborhood and it turned up one odd detail that no one in the neighborhood could ever recall seeing the boys outside the West home. Like they didn't actually play outside. Like nobody ever really saw them playing outside. Yeah. So after repeated searches of the property, including digging up the backyard, Walker told reporters on December 29th that foul play cannot be ruled out in the boys' disappearance. Police so far have not confirmed whether anyone is a suspect. He says that the adoptive parents were asked to take a lie detector test, but he didn't say whether or not they actually ended up taking that lie detector test. Oh. Mm -hmm. But he did say that they have been cooperative. Well, that's good, at least. Yeah. So, but since then, they have relocated back to Bakersfield, which is also where the West boys' biological mother lives. And she has also assisted in the search. Um, But it's also unclear as to why she, like, they were originally taken from her. Like, they don't really ever state why. Yeah. So due to the adoptive family having lived in Bakersfield prior to their move to California City, as well as Bakersfield being the biological family's residence, the Bakersfield police are actually assisting with conducting follow-up interviews and pursuing tips and other investigative avenues. So the Sergeant Robert Pear says in a statement to the SF Gate, which is where I got my information from, um, that we have conducted numerous interviews, search warrants, and explored other investigative routes to assist the California City Police with ongoing searches for the boy. As of January 26th of this year, there are no named persons of interest in the case, and a request for comment to Chief Walker was not answered before like this publication came out. Mm-hmm. So California City and Bakersfield Police, along with the FBI, are still actively investigating. But Walker said in a recent TV interview, investigators are still going over hours of security video and body cam footage. So it it kind of gets pretty crazy because Eyewitness News acquired security cam footage from two days before the boys went missing. So according to police chief for the California City Police Department, the adopted parents claim that they left their house on December 19th with all six children to do Christmas shopping in Bakersfield. Yeah. And I'm not really sure how far California City is from Bakersfield. It seems Um, like it's a pretty easy drive by the way they're making it sound. Yeah, from what it sounds like. But I, like, I've heard of Bakersfield, but I've never heard of California City. Yeah, me either. But then security cam footage from a neighbor showing an adult holding the door open while only four children get in the van. Oh. And then later that day, two adults which appeared to be Trizel and Jacqueline West come back into the house without any kids. So this was probably the time like they went shopping, went to Bakersfield, dropped the four children off to the grandma's house. But then according to the camera footage that there was no, the two boys weren't with them. Huh. So that's kind of interesting. And it would be interesting to see like the police cam footage that they were viewing because I wonder, like, what their chalk, you know, drawing looked like. Yeah. Was there any chalk on the ground? Like, did it actually look like any kids were out there? Right. Yeah. Like, because obviously the chalk would still be there if they were, Mm -hmm. you know. If, like, I wonder if the parents, like, scribbled a bunch of stuff. Oh, maybe. This man named Peter Hyatt, he's an expert statement analysis, and he's gone 
he goes over like high pro- profile cases and stuff like he's done Joan Benet Ram- Ramsey and so he looks at these statements from parents and people and mm-hmm. he kind of just kind of goes over it but, yeah so he goes through their statement from their interview like they did a tv interview mm-hmm. and so kind of a couple of things that stick out to me like that he pointed out was that Jacqueline talks about how she felt helpless instead of like any concern for the boys. Like she was like so overwhelmed by the support and she just, you know, just feels so helpless and doesn't know what to do rather than like being like, oh, you know, I hope that these boys are okay. I hope like she shows yeah. no like kind of like concern for the boys. And that is expected from a biological parent or like a nurturing caretaker. Yeah. And so like he says, the absence of that in the interview is consistent with neglect. Mm. And then kind of just like their body language, like they were pretty closed off. His like Trezell's like arms were closed. They showed no emotion. Um, The fact that no one saw them ever play outside also shows like a sign of neglect. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, they're not looking too good. Yeah. And I would also be interested to see like the other kids, like what do like they have to say? Yeah. And well, they were, they were taken. So they don't actually, the parents don't actually have any of the kids. They were taken into like protected custody. Okay. Yeah. So um, while they're like doing this investigation and stuff, which Mm -hmm. is good. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the biological mother thinks that they did something and that they're hiding something. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, like, it's very unclear why she was originally taken from them. Like she was trying to get him back, but also they were already adopted. So I don't really know how that works in foster care. It's like, how does a biological mother get a child back from people who already adopted them? Well, that's like, a, like in order to be up for adoption, though, they have to the like biological mother basically loses her parental rights. So with like the foster care system, you're given so much time. To basically, Mm. like, the court says, like, oh, you have to do this, 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 and this, and you have to find a job, and you have to go through this treatment, and you have this many hours of visitation, and if you do all of these things, and, like, the visitations are well after an extended period of time, like, the judge then decides, like, if you are fit to be a parent and your child can go back. I see. So, yeah, so for him to be put up for adoption and for them to be able to be adopted, she lost her parental rights. And she it wasn't like like, like she was going to get them back. Exactly. Yeah. Cuz you either just you either just give up your rights and you're like no, I'm okay. I don't want that child or you don't do what it takes to get your child back. That makes sense. Yeah. So Just to me like the adoptive parents, they just seem so sus as the kids would call it. Yeah. Um, like, they just showed no emotion. Their body language was so stiff. The mother didn't even pretend like she was looking for him. Like, it was all the dad. The dad noticed them missing, noticed that he left the gate open, ran inside, asked Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. She said, no, I haven't seen him. And then he went outside. Like, she didn't do anything. Yeah. And it's like, why move? Why are you moving so quickly after mm-hmm. Your children go missing. And, like, if your biological children are taken from you, like, okay, so maybe, maybe you weren't the greatest, like, foster parents and they get taken. Mm -hmm. And you, but your, her biological children were also taken from her. And then they just, like, 
pack up and move yeah back home yeah that doesn't make any sense sense. yeah because it's like what if your child is I just I can't see that because it's like what if your child just wandered out like your child will eventually come back like that's the home they know Mm -hmm. and you just up and leave yeah and the only thing that they ever like said about the personality of the two little boys was that they were rambunctious well they're two little boys so that makes sense right (laughs) right but like when you call when you say that they're rambunctious it's probably not necessarily them like as a compliment Mm -hmm. it's like they're wild they're out of control kind of a thing yeah it's like we never really said anything positive about them it sounds like I wouldn't I wouldn't pick rambunctious as a positive word to describe a child Mm -hmm. you know like it is one like kids can be rambunctious but to be like the only personality trait that you give them is rambunctious yeah it's not like oh they're sweet caring a little rambunctious from time to time but you know but they're in a house with six kids yeah it's gonna happen exactly but and another weird thing that was caught on camera from the neighbor's camera Mm -hmm was that the light flickered three times so it was like like an on and off three different times the porch light went on mm-hmm. and it's like were they signaling somebody right that's so like reddit always has those like you know rabbit holes and stuff and people think that they flickered that light on to let someone know and now like an sos something. yeah yeah but again the neighbor's camera doesn't catch any anybody on camera like it doesn't catch it doesn't catch the boys it doesn't catch any strangers it only catches Trizel, and it shows him getting in his car searching the neighborhood so like that timeline does match up mm-hmm. but like everything before it does not that's so, so crazy kind of yeah it's like they never left you know like it's like what happened to them and then some people are like well did they ever even live in the house because there's no like the neighbor's camera doesn't catch them at all oh you know and it's like well where have they been like have they been missing have they kind of been like your case where they've just been collecting the check Mm -hmm. and then now they're like okay this is getting a little out of hand like maybe we're going maybe we should do something now yeah but there is a twenty thousand dollar reward and anyone with information on this case should contact the California City Police Department at seven six zero three seven three eight six zero six. It's super like ongoing. So if I, you know, read any updates and stuff, I'll be sure to like let you guys know. But oh yeah, no, that's definitely the most of- recent one we've had. That's mm-hmm. literally within the last yeah. two months, like two, three months. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah very crazy it's just really sad how children just fall through the cracks agree but but we got saints Mm. like your mom (laughs) my mom's an angel and your mom's a saint yeah (laughs) anything else you want to add no no i think uh i think that was it yeah so just you know that that was a lot of good information it was yeah it's just you know as we always say the more you do your research on things just just mm-hmm. keep an eye out, you know, for just the smallest little, the smallest little things can, can definitely bust open a case. I think we've seen that in all of our murder shows that we watch. Yeah. yeah. Like the smallest little detail can just unravel the entire thing. So, but. And it's never too late yeah. to give information if you know something. Correct. So. Thank you for listening, yes, guys. Thank you. And as always, please 
rate us, leave us a comment if you like this episode. Follow us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Mm-hmm. If you want, you can leave us an email at milkcartonkidspodcast at gmail.com if you have a case that you want us to cover. And until next time, stay alert. Mm-hmm.